All right, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to all of you. I'm really glad that you made the decision to worship with us this morning, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. And I hope uh, you had a good beginning of June. We're really heading into summer. Uh, At the Hartley House, our kids have been very excited about the beginning of summer break, and we're also looking forward to what's coming in the next few weeks. Next weekend, we have Parent Me Camp. The weekend after that, we have All-Star Camp here, and then on June 26th, Worship at the Park. It's just going to be a fun month around here. But we need to jump back into our sermon series on the life of Joseph. And at the point of the story where we see Joseph today, he is not having fun at all. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you know that Joseph has already been suffering. But we're going to see today, the hits just keep on coming. And of course, we know that bad things happen to all of us. That's just a part of life. But sometimes... For certain people, it just seems like too much. You ever seen that? You know anybody like that? Where it just seems like they can't catch a break? I'll I'll give you an example. A man named Eric Nori. Now, you may not have heard of Eric, but he's sometimes been called the unluckiest man in the world. And I'll tell you why. It started when he was young. When Eric was about 10 years old, he was standing under a tree in a storm. That tree was struck by lightning, and Eric was blown off his feet. Thankfully, he wasn't seriously injured. Unfortunately, he wasn't so lucky a few years later. When he was in middle school, he was walking in, on a golf course, and minding his own business, and all of a sudden, a rattlesnake slithered up and bit him on the leg. And this was a serious injury. He spent two weeks in ICU, He almost lost this leg. He did recover, but then later, as an adult, he was on a work trip in Brazil, and he was bitten by a monkey. Then later, on a different trip to Honduras with his wife, he was bitten by a second monkey. And then finally, a few years ago, he was down in the Bahamas spearfishing for grouper. And as he swam back to the boat, he was attacked by a shark. Now, he was interviewed after this, this attack, and he told reporters, I felt this tremendous power hit my leg. And he looked back, and it, it, the shark just ripped the side of his leg off. So this was a serious wound. They, they thought he might not recover, but he did survive. So if you're keeping score, that's lightning, rattlesnake, monkey number one, monkey number two, and shark. So this is why people have called Eric the unluckiest man alive. However, there are other people who say that Eric is the luckiest man alive because somehow he managed to survive all these extreme encounters with nature. But if you ask Eric himself, he has a completely different point of view. In one of those interviews, he said, I'm more blessed than lucky. I'm not a believer in luck. See, Eric Norrie is very open about the fact that he is a Christian, and he said to the reporter, I do believe with all my heart that the Lord was the one who sustained me through all of this. Now, I love that perspective, because when we go through adversity, it's very easy to say, why me, God? Where are you right now? 
But Eric focused on the fact that God was with him, even during a shark attack. He, he knew that God was the one who sustained him through this. And you know what? That, that sounds like our boy Joseph. Joseph went through one ordeal after another, but he never stopped trusting God. And we're going to see that again today. But first, let's back up and remember where we are in the story. We'll go back to the timeline that we've been using to map out Joseph's life. And as we said, early on, things were great. Joseph grew up in a big family. He was one of 12 sons, and his father, Jacob, loved him very much. He, he, he had lots of ways of demonstrating his love. One of them was when he gave Joseph this amazing coat. And of course, his brothers were jealous of that favoritism. His brothers were very angry, angry enough to kill him. So they took Joseph and they threw him into a deep pit. And they planned to leave him there to starve to death. But then the brothers had a change of heart. And they merely sold him into slavery, which I have to admit is a little more compassionate than murder. But at any rate, Joseph was carried off to Egypt where he became the slave of a wealthy, important man named Potiphar. And surprisingly, Joseph's life in Potiphar's house started out great. Potiphar saw that Joseph was blessed by God in a special way, and he gave Joseph a big promotion. And for a little while, it seemed like happy days were here again. But as we saw last week, the happy days didn't last. Joseph was accused of a crime that he did not commit, and he was thrown in prison, sort of like the A-team. But do you remember how that went down? Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of attempted rape, which, of course, was not true. She was the one coming on to him. But Joseph resisted that temptation because he wanted to honor God. And what did he get for doing the right thing? He got thrown in jail, and he spent years there. Now, when you look at this list of events, you might have some questions for God. You might say, God, why would you let Joseph suffer like this? He's on your team. He's trying to honor you. But as soon as things start looking up, Joseph is knocked back down again. Couldn't you step in and help a brother out? But let's remember, as we look at Joseph's life, we want to keep two questions in mind. Question number one, what difference does it make if you truly believe that God is with you? And then question number two, what difference does it make if you truly believe that God will eventually set things right if you keep trusting him? Now, in Joseph's case, I think we would all understand if he got discouraged after everything that happened, but this is one of the reasons his story is so helpful for us. Joseph held on to these two beliefs in the best of times and in the worst of times. He was stubborn. Joseph kept trusting that God was with him. He kept trusting that one day God would set things right. Now, for all of us here today, life will get tough, and we will get discouraged. Maybe you're there already. But Joseph shows us that we can keep trusting God no matter what we're going through. So let's dive into Scripture today. We'll start at the end of Genesis chapter 39. And this is right where Joseph goes to prison. Genesis 39, starting at verse 20. 
Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, like we said last week, one of the frustrating things about God is that he doesn't always do what we want when we want. And what do you think Joseph wants at this point? He wants freedom. He wants to go home. He wants to be reunited with his father, the father who loved him so much. But God doesn't give Joseph what he wants here. And uh, we do see that God blesses Joseph. He grants him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. But you know, when you think about all the ways you'd like to be blessed by God, I bet you're not dreaming of having favor with your prison warden. You don't want to have any relationship with your prison warden. How about let's keep me out of jail in the first place, God? But God doesn't always do what we want when we want. So Joseph's blessings remain in prison here. And yes, in that context, Joseph is blessed. He gets this amazing promotion. He's put in charge of the other prisoners, which is pretty cool. But being in jail is still jail. And Joseph wants out. Unfortunately, it's going to be a long time before Joseph is released. We don't know exactly how long he's in prison, but it could have been as many as 10 years. It's likely that Joseph spent the majority of his 20s in jail. But in the middle of that long, discouraging stretch of time, something happens that gives Joseph a little hope. Look at Genesis 40, verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. So this is another blessing. Joseph was put in this unique position where he gets to meet two very important people, the royal cupbearer and the royal baker. Both of these men served in the, uh, the palace of Pharaoh. And of course, Pharaoh was one of the most important men in the world at that time. And just a side note here, this week I noticed something that I had never seen before. Did you notice the location of this prison? It's in the house of the captain of the guard. Captain of the guard. Does that title sound familiar to you? If you were here last week, maybe it does. Uh, jump back one chapter, Genesis 39, verse 1. That verse says, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites. And I find this very interesting. Joseph never left Potiphar's house. God allowed Joseph to stay in this place where he would encounter significant people like the cupbearer and the baker. And if things go well with these guys, this could be Joseph's ticket to freedom. So let's see what happens next. Back to Genesis 40. Let's keep reading. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. 
And after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream. Each the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. And when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Okay, so we come back to one of the big themes in this story, the theme of dreams. And you may remember years earlier when Joseph was still back home, he had a couple of dreams of his own. And his dreams seemed to indicate that one day he would rise to a position of power and even his family, even his brothers would bow down to him. Of course, that didn't go over well with the family. But from a very young age, Joseph was interested in dreams. And he wasn't alone in that. In the ancient world, many people tried to find some kind of hidden meaning in their dreams. In fact, in Egypt, they had something called the Book of Dreams. Now, this is not the actual Book of Dreams, but it looked a lot like this. And the Egyptians found this book very handy because it gave specific interpretations for lots of different dreams. For example, if you have a dream where you're eating crocodile meat, that's a good omen. That means you will have an important job in the village. You'll become an important official. Now, if a man is dreaming and he sees himself as dead, that's another good omen. Uh, that means this man will live a long life. Bet you didn't see that coming. I'll give you one more, and this one's just wacky. Uh, according to the book, if a man sees himself in a dream with his backside uncovered, that is a bad omen. That man will become an, an orphan. I don't know how they came up with this stuff. But all that to say, the Egyptians were very into dream interpretation. And that's true of these two prisoners with Joseph. They're upset because the prison library doesn't have a copy of the book of dreams. They also don't have a, a human interpreter to tell them what their dreams mean. But Joseph steps in and he turns their attention to the one true God. He says to the cupbearer and the baker, listen guys, Human beings can only guess at the meaning of dreams. Interpretations belong to God. But I have good news. God has given me the gift of dream interpretation. So let's hear what you got. And the two men take turns describing their dreams. The cupbearer goes first. At the beginning of his dream, he saw a grapevine with three branches. Now, this dream was directly related to his profession because the cupbearer poured wine at the royal palace. And as the dream continued, these branches blossomed and, and they ripened into grapes. The cupbearer took those grapes and he squeezed them into a cup and then he gave that cup to Pharaoh. That was dream number one. The baker also had a dream that was tied to his profession. He dreamed of three baskets of bread all balanced on his head. And these baskets of bread were intended for Pharaoh, but birds were eating out of the top basket. Now, if you were Joseph, how would you interpret those dreams? I thought about it, but I don't have the gift of dream interpretation, so I, I would probably say, guys, I have no idea. Maybe you just missed your jobs. But Joseph was confident 
he sees two different meanings of these two different dreams. First, to the cupbearer, he says, great news. Those three branches of the grapevine, they represent three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. Buddy, you're about to get your job back. And you know the cupbearer had to be excited about that, right? But hold on. What about the baker's dream? Well, this time the news is not so good. And Joseph starts out with a similar interpretation. He says, just like the three branches of the grapevine, those three baskets of bread also represent three days. But this is where things take a dark turn. Joseph says, within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head. So the wording is very similar, but that one little change makes a big difference. If someone lifts up your head, that's a good thing. If someone lifts off your head, that's a very bad thing. So Joseph says to the baker, I'm sorry, you're about to die. Pharaoh is going to hang you, and he will impale your body on a pole. And just like the birds from the dream ate out of that basket, real-life birds will eat your body after you're executed pretty graphic. And obviously for the baker, this is horrifying. But for Joseph, this is a hopeful turn of events. The cupbearer is going back to Pharaoh's court. He will be in the perfect position to put in a good word for Joseph. And you would expect this guy to be a little grateful, right? So Joseph tells him in verse 14, but when all goes well with you, remember Remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. And of course, Joseph was absolutely right here. He deserved none of this suffering. He was treated completely unfairly by his brothers, by Potiphar's wife, and by Potiphar himself. Joseph has been waiting for years. He was trusting that one day God would set things right. And now, finally, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Finally, God is smiling on Joseph. The cupbearer does get his job back. So <laughs> Joseph is finally busting out of this place, right? Wrong. Look at how this chapter ends. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Are you kidding me? <laughs> After everything Joseph has gone through, it really looked like things were looking up. But then, this numbskull can't even remember the man who showed him so much kindness. Seems like a cruel joke. What is God doing here? Will he explain himself? Well, actually, let's look at the special information that God provided in this part of the story. First, the cupbearer got good news. Second, the baker got bad news. And poor Joseph got no news. And why do you suppose that was? Why didn't God reveal something about Joseph's future? Well, I believe God was asking Joseph to do the same thing he asks us to do. When we can't see how God is working things out for good, he calls us to trust him. Trust that he sees a bigger picture. Trust that his plan is better than our plan. Trust that everything will get better if you put your life into his hands. In the book of Psalms, there is a very interesting passage that mentions Joseph. 
And this passage was written hundreds of years after the life of Joseph, Joseph, and it helps us understand what God was doing behind the scenes. You see, God had a big plan for Joseph's family, for the nation of Israel. Psalm 105 verse 17 says, And he, God, sent a man, Joseph, before them, the nation of Israel. This man was Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. You see, Joseph played a very important role in God's story. Joseph's brothers did a very cruel thing when they sold him into slavery. And God never condoned that cruelty, but he used it for good. God brought Joseph down to Egypt Next week, we'll see that God not only gets Joseph out of jail, he also raises him up to become the right-hand man to Pharaoh. He has great authority and power. And I'll, I'll save the details for later, but Joseph is put in a position where he can save many lives, including the lives of his own family, the family of Jacob, the nation of Israel. Now, this is really important because God always had a plan. And God was always working out this plan. For example, years and years earlier, in the days of Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, God made a promise. God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all nations on earth will be blessed. And that promise was partially fulfilled with Joseph. That promise was completely fulfilled with Jesus. Jesus would be the Savior of the world. And Jesus came from the people of Israel. And the people of Israel were saved by Joseph. It's very cool when you see the bigger picture. Eventually, every word of the Lord is proven true. But we can't skip forward to the end of the, end of the story. In Genesis 41, verse 1, we learn that it will be two full years before that cupbearer remembers Joseph. And while Joseph was waiting in the prison cell, it really seemed like God had nothing to say. Joseph may have felt forgotten by God. And some of you know that feeling. Some of us may have that feeling right now. But I want to tell you today, when you feel forgotten by God, you're in good company. Just read through the Bible. You can find so many people who got very discouraged and some of those people felt like God actually abandoned them. One example is King David, who wrote many of the Psalms. And some of the words he wrote were gut-wrenching. One example is Psalm 22. Listen to what David says. He, he writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. This is the voice of someone who is deeply discouraged, deeply frustrated with God. Have you ever gotten to a place like that? Some of us do know what that's like. Over the past 10 years at Plum Creek, I've seen many of you go through very difficult trials. And I can't even imagine the pain that some of you have experienced. And it makes you want to ask, why, God? Why do certain people suffer one trial after another? 
when it seems like they're the last person who, who, who could handle another blow? Well, based on Scripture, I, I do believe it's okay to ask God hard questions. It's okay to cry out to Him. I, I believe He can handle our questions, and He wants to hear the cries of our hearts. And I'll tell you one big reason why I believe it's okay to cry out to God like that. I believe it's okay because this very psalm was quoted by someone else years later, centuries later. Mark chapter 15, verse 34. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was on the cross here in excruciating pain. He had the weight of the world and the sins of the world literally on his shoulders, and he felt forsaken by God. Now, of course, God never stopped loving his only son. God never abandoned him or forgot him. It's just that God was working out this greater plan. And yes, the crucifixion was a terrible, dark day. But beyond that pain and beyond that death, Jesus would rise again. The resurrection was coming. And he knew this would happen. He, he knew that everything was working out for good. His sacrifice would make it possible for us to receive the gift of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. But you know what? When you're at one of those low points... Even when you truly believe that God will eventually set things right, the discouragement that you feel in that moment is very real, and it can seem overwhelming. So where are you today? Can you relate to Joseph in jail? Do you look around and say, man, my family is not where I thought it would be today. My career is not where I thought it would be today. My health is not where I thought it would be today. My whole life is not where I thought it would be today. You know, if, if that's where you are, I want to share a quote with you. And this quote may seem a little trite, almost like a bumper sticker, but in the bottom of my soul, I believe that it's true. The quote says, Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Now, in those dark times, sometimes we will doubt. That's part of being human. But we can make the conscious decision to keep returning to the truth that God has told us in the light. Remember those promises that you heard before you hit that low point. That's what Joseph had to do, even when he felt forgotten by God. That's also what David had to do. Just a few verses after David lashed out at God in Psalm 22, he remembered the truth. If you skip down to Psalm 22, verse 23, it's really interesting. David says, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him. Revere Him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Just a few verses after, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
In other words, David is saying, Lord, I haven't gotten an answer from you yet, but I know that you've heard me, and I'm going to keep trusting in your goodness. I'm going to keep trusting in your plans. We, we have to encourage each other to remember God's truth, to trust him more than we trust ourselves. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. So what exactly has God told us in the light? Well, over and over again, throughout Scripture, God says, I am with you. God says, if you get on board with my plan, I'm working things out for your ultimate good. One of the clearest expressions of that idea is Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you believe that, you will see life in a whole new way. Remember Eric Norrie, the unluckiest man alive? He said something very cool in one of those interviews after the shark attack. I mean, his leg was mangled. He was in so much pain. But here's what he had to say. He said, believe it or not, good things are actually coming from this. He said, one of my goals is to share my faith with as many people as I can. And I've done many interviews over the past few weeks. Sharing my faith is the most important aspect of my life. Good things came from the shark attack. He was able to share God's love with so many people. Isn't that a great perspective? God doesn't want to see us in pain, but he will use our pain for good. Like I said, if you believe Romans 8.28, you will see life in a whole new way. You will live life in a whole new way. You will live with hope. You know that things will eventually get better. But I do need to make something very clear. Did you notice that Romans 8.28 does not apply to everyone? In all things, God works for the good of who? Everyone? No. For the good of those who love him. Those who have been called according to his purpose. Now, why would God put a limit there? Doesn't he love everyone? Wouldn't he work for the good of everyone? Well, of course he loves everyone, and of course he has a good plan for everyone. But the truth is, not everyone loves him. Not everyone is willing to listen to his call and surrender to his will. I mean, this is a difficult truth, but if you reject the salvation that God offers you through Jesus, the good that God wants for you in this life will not become a reality. And the good that God wants for you in eternity will not become a reality. So it comes back around to trust, faith. It's not just believing in God. It's putting your trust in him through Jesus. And no, that's not always easy, especially when it seems like God is silent. But it's possible to make this choice. And if you need help, you can look at Joseph or David or Jesus When you truly believe that God is with you and that he is working for your ultimate good, you can trust him, even in the midst of discouragement, even in the midst of silence. Let's pray. Lord, we can only see right in front of us. We don't have your perspective. 
We can see in your word that you have a big plan. It's your story, and you've invited us to be a part of it, and we thank you so much for that. But we do get discouraged in the moment. It can be difficult when we're suffering and you don't do what we want when we want, but Lord, help us to surrender to you, to trust in you, to know that you are good. Lord, I pray whatever it is that we're dealing with today, that you'd help us turn that over to you, that we would be confident of your presence and your goodness, that you will work things together for good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.